You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Woo! All right. Hey, if uh, if you got some seats towards the inside a little bit, if you wouldn't mind sort of squishing together just a little, um, they got some folks coming in who are looking for seats, and um, that would help us out a ton. We appreciate that. Wow, y'all are moving. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> That's cool. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, happy new year to start off with. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for telling me back. Um, but glad, uh, glad to be here with you for the first of the year. Looking forward to the first Sunday of the year and excited about what God's put on my heart to share with you today. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 16 and 17 is where we're going to be today um, for the most part. And uh, we're going to be starting a new series called Behind Enemy Lines. The thought about this series is that if we know what the enemy's doing, we know the traits of the enemy, we know the enemy's tactics, then we have a better chance of winning. We have a better chance of being victorious. We have a better chance of succeeding. And so this series is going to be looking at some lies that the enemy wants us to believe, that Satan wants to tell us, and sometimes things that we believe, sometimes about ourselves, about the church, about... um, Uh, who we are, that type of thing. And so this series, Behind Enemy Lines, is trying to look at how does Satan come in and try to tempt us, try to tell us uh, who we are or who we aren't or what the church is or what it isn't. And and we want to look at these things. Um, Starting next week, we're going to be going through the book of 1 Thessalonians and uh, taking it um, through uh, from the chapter one all the way through the end. And so we're excited about doing that. And that'll be a part of this this series behind enemy lines. But first of all, this morning, um, I want I want to encourage you this morning uh, to help me in this message. Um, if if God speaks to your heart, don't be afraid to let me know. It's always good to be encouraged. It's always good for you to participate. And so um, I'm excited about it, and I hope you are too. And I hope as as we move through this text that this will be a time of worship, a continuation of our worship, not just a time where um, you sit and and uh, you just kind of veg out, but that it's something that we are a part of together um, as we go through this and, and you're engaged by the living word of God. So let's go to the word, chapter 17, beginning in verse one. Um, we'll read through verse nine and then we'll get jump into it. It says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So what we see here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's probably the greatest missionary who's ever lived, um, is going around, he's planting churches in different towns. There's a pattern that you'll see in Paul's life. When he goes into an area, he goes into a city, he goes into the synagogue first, or either where the Jews gather if there's no synagogue, and then he begins to preach the gospel. Um, a synagogue is like where the, the Jewish church building, where they would go and they would worship. 
Um, and so he would go in and preach the gospel. When they got tired of hearing him and they ran him out, he would go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. When uh, some of them got mad, they would usually beat him, stone him, threaten him or whatever, try to kill him and they'd run him out and he'd go to another city. So what we're reading right here is where Paul comes into the city of Thessalonica and he plants this church, which we're gonna read about next week in 1 Thessalonians. And so I want you to understand what's going on as Paul comes into this town um, and he begins to share with them the gospel. It tells us that it was a successful um, plant. In other words, some of the Jews were persuaded, it says in verse four, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world, that literally means these men who have turned the world upside down have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others postpone and they let them go. Let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for the way it speaks to our hearts. God, today I pray that uh, you, would, you would do that. You would speak to us, that we would hear your voice clearly and you would challenge us and encourage us uh, to continue to move forward in the direction you've called us, to continue to stay on our course as people and as a church. God, um, we just pray for the strength and the perseverance to stay the course that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, let me see a show of hands if you're here today and you still use a paper map when you travel. You still use a paper map when you travel. You just you like the paper map. That's a definite minority, right? Uh, how many of you use your phone? You just like Google it and you're like, oh yeah, that's the new way, right? Um, and, uh, and, and it works well. It works good. I remember when I was a child, we traveled, especially for some reason, this one trip sticks out in my mind. We were traveling to Kentucky and I was actually um, laying in the floorboard. I was getting bored. So I was laying in the floorboard, flipping through our atlas, um, which you know is a book of maps. We had all 50 states and and I was flipping through the book of maps. And for some of you, you're like, well, why were you in the floorboard? How did you have your seatbelt on? We didn't know we had seatbelts at that time, right? Uh, we rode in the back of pickup trucks. And, um, you know, I think they even strapped me to the hood one time because we just didn't think about seatbelts that way. My seatbelt when my dad was driving was, hold on. You know, you just yell. You just grab whatever you could. And for my mom, when she was driving, it was her right arm. She would hold on to the steering wheel with one hand. Anybody else get that protection from your mom? That was the seatbelt belt, right? Um, and so that was our protection. But we use those atlases. We use those paper maps. Today we use our phones. Um, and still though, even with our phones today and using Google Maps and those kind of things, so many times we can get off track. Like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've been following um, my, my phone and listening to the directions. And when I get to where it tells me I'm going, I'm like in the middle of a cotton field. And I'm like, I don't even know. I was supposed to be in a city and I'm in the middle of a cotton field. I don't even know why I'm here and uh, or how I got here. And so um, sometimes it leads us off course, it leads us astray as well. And so the point of me telling you that and using that example is this, that many times when we try to get from point A to point B, we run into difficulties. 
But here's the thing that I believe. I believe that every person in here, you want to finish the race well. None of us wake up in the morning and say, I hope that you know somewhere I turn to the left, I turn to the right, I run my life um, into the ditch, right? Um, we all want to finish the race well. I want you to finish your race well. I want you to finish um, your pursuit of Jesus well. I want you to stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to be a part of a church that finishes what God's called us to do, that it does all the things that God had in mind for us to do. I want us as a church to finish our race well. And today I want to talk to you about that, about staying the course, about staying on the tracks that God has laid out for you. Um, when I was in school, I was finishing my master's degree. Uh, one day, one of our teachers was, was um, as he was teaching us, he stops and he looks at me and just, he didn't know me. He didn't know what we were doing, but we were just starting to plant the church. He looked at me, I had a name tag. He said, Brandon, he said, you stay on your tracks. He said, don't you get off of your tracks, but you stay on your tracks. He said, people are going to come by and they're going to, this train's going to come by and they're going to jump on. And, and he said, but you stay on your tracks. He said, then there's going to be other people who jump off and, and you just stay on your tracks. You just do what God's told you to do. And I remember that sinking into my heart and I could really feel the Holy Spirit. I'm just really speaking that to my heart. And so for the last seven years, what we've tried to do is stay on our tracks. We've tried to make sure that we don't get off our tracks but we stay on the things that God's called us to do. And that's what I want to see this church do is to complete the task that God's given us to complete. We see a man in Paul who goes into Thessalonica and he goes in to plant this church and we see a man who continually does what God has called him to do, what God's told him to do. But it wasn't always easy for Paul. We can think about these biblical people and think that somehow it was just always easy for them, but it was difficult. It was challenging. They met opposition. They met difficulties all the time. And I want you to see some of these in the life of Paul because there was a pattern, as I told you, in his life. You can just listen to these. It won't take long. We're going to read through them. But in Acts chapter nine, this is right after Paul's conversion, right after he meets the Lord and he becomes a Christian. It says in verse 23 of chapter nine, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. And so he's been a Christian for just a, a few days here. And then now they're wanting to kill him already, right? For preaching the gospel. And so it wasn't easy. Many times we think when we become a Christian, it means that things are going to become easy. When in reality, what it does is it puts a big target on our back for uh, Satan to come and try to um, attack and try to derail us from what he wants us to do. Another one is in Acts chapter 13. Verse 44 and 45, it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So he's preaching, they're coming to hear him, and it says, when the Jews, excuse me, I don't know what happened there. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. It says in uh, the verse, or chapter 14, verses um, five, or verse five right there, it says, there was a plot afoot, this is when he's in Iconium, there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. In verse 19 of chapter 14, 
or um, yeah, ch- ch- verse 19, chapter 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. What I want you to see is that Paul didn't have it easy. Everywhere he went, he ran into opposition. Right before he goes into Thessalonica, he's in Philippi. And in chapter 16 of Acts, it says in verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So I want you to see that this great missionary, this great man of God who spread the word of God all over, he ran into difficult times. He ran into challenges. He ran into opposition. And I want you to think about some of the things that would have kept him from finishing his race. I want you to think about what he might have been feeling. Um, that these aren't just uh, black and white words. These are, um, these are documenting a man's life and, and teaching us as the Holy Spirit inspired this writing. Um, he's teaching us about what it's like to try to finish our race, to try to do what God's called us to do. Um, as a church and as individuals, this is what he's called us to. Think about this. Do you think that Paul maybe sometimes was a little bit fearful? that one of the things that could have hindered him from finishing his race, from staying on his tracks, might have been fear. And I've heard people say this, that fear is the, and faith cannot go together. But I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that faith is continuing to do what God told you to do even when fear is present. It's continuing to do what God's told you to do even when fear is present. Listen, it's not always where we're 100% sure how things are going to turn out when we begin to follow God. If I had waited till I was 100% sure to do what God told me to do, I would have never done anything. Still today, there's very few times when I can say, yes, this is, I'm 100% sure. I don't know that that's ever happened. There's always an element of fear because so many times when God tells us what to do, it's so much bigger than what we can handle on our own. So he tells us these things and there's this element of fear that exists, but we continue to step in faith and continue to follow. How about disappointment? Can you imagine Paul was somewhat disappointed? It's somewhat, sometimes he, he looked at things and, and it didn't go the way he thought it would go. Maybe he didn't see as many people come to faith as he thought he would see. Maybe a prayer didn't get answered. Maybe um, he got stoned and was hoping he would be received. Listen, he knew what disappointment was. We do too. And sometimes disappointment is a threat to derail us. It's a threat to get us off our course. But I want you to understand that we have a very specific course to run and we can persevere. And even when things don't go, the way that we think they should go. We have a sovereign God who is in control and who knows the plan. And we can continue to walk because we know that he is the God who has this in his hand. He is the God who started this. He's the one who's going to finish this as well. Another one that I think about a lot is pain. In fact, in here today, some of you, the one thing that is the biggest threat for you to be derailed is pain. And it may be physical pain, but many times it's emotional pain. It's pain that we feel um, from things that we've gone through, from abuse we've experienced or betrayal. Paul had been betrayed, Paul had been beaten, Paul had experienced emotional um, pain. He had experienced physical pain. It was very easy for this to try to take him off course. And so he 
had to deal with this also, but he continued to move forward. He continued to stay on his course. Another one, and this is one that may, may sound a little bit odd because I want to stress it a lot, but one of them is fatigue. Fatigue. This is something that I feel like takes us off course a lot in our culture. And I want to give you three reasons that I think we're so, such a tired society, such a tired culture. The first one is sometimes it's medical. Sometimes it's medical. For some of you, you're in here and you're struggling with fatigue, you're struggling with it and it's, it's taking you off of your course of what you feel God's called you to be or do and, and it may be medical and you need to go to the doctor and see about it. In fact, for me, I've been dealing with um, fatigue probably for about the last three or four years, just excessive fatigue. And I've never been a lazy person. I've always been someone who was very driven. But the last three or four years, it's just really been on me. And, and I've been fighting it and battling against it. Been to doctors and, and everything seems to be fine. I'm actually going to the doctor tomorrow. And this is crazy because it's so rare. Um, I've never really met anybody with this. I'm actually going to the doctor tomorrow to find out if I have narcolepsy. Now I think they're, no, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. Like I, I never thought of myself and there, somebody's like, I can't believe he made fun of narcolepsy. Listen, I may be one, right? So it's just a joke. But the reality of it is, I don't, I don't know, but some, for some of us, it's medical. For some of us, it's something that is, is going on in our bodies that we need to get checked out, right? For others of us though, it's the busyness of life. We're just too busy. And I wanna encourage some of you today that the thing you might need to do, your next step with God is to step back away from your calendar and your schedule and begin to remove some things that are good things, but they're not God's things. What is it in your life that needs to be cut out so that you can have some space in your life for God? some space in your life for rest. We, we talk about a Sabbath, and listen, if I've ever been hypocritical in a message, I am right now, all right? I'm preaching to you about resting, and I'm preaching to you about space in your schedule, and you ought to see mine, right? But the reality of it is that this is something we all need to grow in. Our culture keeps us moving at 100 miles an hour. When's the last time you actually had a Sabbath, a day of rest, where you actually set aside some time to just rest, to just reflect on the Lord? Uh, see, God didn't give us a Sabbath for, for some legal requirement because he needed us to rest. He gave us the Sabbath because we need to rest. And so we need to make sure we're taking that time. God made us that way so that we would rest and reflect on him. When's the last time you took that time to rest? For me, it's very difficult because I used to feel like resting was a waste of time. And then somebody much smarter than me told me, Brandon, you need to understand that when you rest, you're doing something. And you are, you're recharging for the next thing. You're recharging for that next thing that God has for you to do. Some of us are just too busy and so we're worn out. We can't do God things because we're so tired, we can't take that next step of faith. Another one is that the third one, the last one about fatigue is this, that many of us are carrying things we were never intended to carry. We're carrying burdens, we're carrying responsibilities. See, some people, um, we, have the we have an issue of not taking responsibility. Others of us have this huge issue of taking responsibility for things that aren't ours to take. 
And so if you're like me, and then you take on all the responsibility of everybody around you. I remember one year, um, it was for Christmas or a birthday or something, my, my boys got this, these vests, and they were Velcro vests. And then they had these guns that would shoot Velcro balls, right? And the Velcro balls would stick onto the vest, and so they're running around everywhere. It didn't last that long. Like two hours, all the balls were lost, so it didn't go on that long. But but they would run around and they would shoot each other with the vest. What it ends up with is the youngest ones just got these balls stuck all over him, right? And uh, so, so they're all stuck to him. And I thought about how much life is like that for many of us, is that we just go through life and it's like we pick up things as we go along and we take responsibilities that aren't ours to take and we begin to be weighted down by those things. Today, maybe for you, your next step is to back away and begin to let God speak to you about responsibilities that you've taken on yourself that weren't yours to take in the first place. Many times we assume responsibility for people and for things that God never intended for us to assume responsibility for. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone. If I sit down and I counsel with somebody who's going through a divorce, when I leave, I'm going through a divorce. I mean, that's why I feel, right? If I sit down and talk with somebody who's had suffered a loss with, in, in the family, then when I get up from that meeting, then I've, I've suffered a loss in the family. And I have to realize that, listen, all of this isn't my responsibility and it's not all yours either. We have to be responsible for what we're responsible for and let go of what we can't control and begin to trust God with it. What is it today that you need to begin to unload and allow God to carry that you've been carrying? Maybe that's what you need today. But many times it's fatigue that takes us off track. As we look at Paul's life, we see a man who went through all sorts of difficulties and challenges, but he kept moving forward. He kept going. He stayed the course so much so that even after all of those things that we read, when he comes into Thessalonica, having experienced fear, opposition, pain, having experienced all of these things, after he experienced, you know he was fatigued, he was tired, he was running this race hard, having experienced all of these things, he still comes into Thessalonica and he does what he was called to do. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how did Paul do that? Because if that's our goal, that's what we want to do, then we need to understand how do we finish the race well? How do we continue to run this race that God's put before us? How do we stay the course? How do we finish and hear well done, good and faithful servant? And, and I came up with some things from scripture that I want to share with you. The very first one is this, and I believe this is one of the biggest things for Paul. Paul had a very clear mission. He understood his purpose. In other words, he had a very clear mission. And so do you. And so do I. And listen, so do we as a church. We have a very clear mission. There are a lot of things I question. There are a lot of things I wonder about. There are a lot of things that I don't know about. But one of the things that I have never questioned, I do not question, and I don't think I ever will question, is the reason that this church exists. I feel like God has given us a very, very clear mission. He's given us a very, very clear vision. I believe our vision is to reach 10,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with 80% serving in connect groups and giving generously. I used to feel like we had to apologize for a big vision, and then I realized we serve a big God 
He wants to do greater things, more things and, and, and bigger things than we could possibly imagine. I think for every person who outdreams God, there's a hundred who don't dream big enough about what God wants to do. And I, and I believe that God's going to use us to do that. I used to feel like we had to apologize for that, but the reality of it is somebody's going to always say, well, y'all are about the numbers. And I'm going to say, you're, you're right. We're about the numbers. We're about every number that makes up the 10,000 because every number has a soul and every soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. And God's given us the responsibility. If you want a responsibility to take, God's given us a responsibility to reach those people. So we're going to do that. We've got a very clear mission. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason this church exists. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to do that four ways in this church. We're going to do it through Sunday mornings, which you're a part of, obviously, right now. We're going to do it through our kids and student ministries. I love it when our kids come out and I hear them telling their parents, like, I want to come back here, mama. I want to come back here, right? Or I want to come back here, daddy. Because then even if you didn't like it, they're going to make you, right? And, and, and I hear that all the time from our children. And the one thing that we stress is one, that it's safe, two, that it's fun, and three, that they learn about Jesus, and I can tell you that they are, uh, listen, he learns it at home, but he's also learning it in connection. Kids read my five-year-old has started praying and now he's not saying like, you know, God, our father, God, our father, or God is great. He's starting to say his own prayers. And it's so awesome because he says God like 500 times every sentence. He's like, God, we thank you, God, for being God and for loving us, God, and for um, giving us God and for Jesus, God. And, and, and he just goes, and I'm like, son, he's listening. Like you got his attention, you know, but it's really cool. And, and they're getting it. They understand. So we've got Sunday mornings, we've got kids and we've got our student ministries. We've got connect groups. Those are the big thing. If you're not in a connect group, you need to get in a connect group. Listen, some of you tried a connect group and you didn't like it. And the reason you didn't like it is because the people in that group were weird, right? <laughs> Try another one. We're all weird, but the reality is try another group, get in a group, be in a group with somebody that's going the same direction that you are going. You can sign up for a group at our next steps table, but get in a group, right? And the last one that we're going to do is missions and outreach. We're going to go into the world. We're going to go into our community and reach people. This is something that we're going to be very focused on in the next few months. I feel like as a church, I want y'all to listen to this. I feel like as a church that, that when we moved into this building, we necessarily had put a lot of focus on getting our feet underneath us. But I feel like our feet are underneath us. I feel like we've kind of gathered ourselves from such a transition and it's time now that we put our effort, our energy, our resources into the community. And we've got to get back out there. That's why we started this church. That's who we've always been. That's who we're going to be. And I know I say this coming off the heels of, of Christmas service day when we did some incredible things. But the worst thing we could do, guys, is to pat ourselves on the back for 364 days, telling ourselves what a good job we did and not continuing to go out and reach more people and share the good news of Jesus and serve the people around us. And so we got to continue. We're going to keep moving. We're going to keep putting a bigger focus on that. But Sunday mornings, kids and students, connect groups, submissions and outreach, those are the four things we're going to do. But what about, no, there's no what abouts, right? It's those four things. 
as far as who we are, our cultures that, that define us and that um, lead us and guide us in our decision makings. These are four things that we're gonna be. One, we're gonna be about serving. We're going to be about serving in the church and outside the church. Two, we're gonna be generous. And you can talk about everything under the sun in church, just about it, but when you mention money, all the room goes out of the air. Or all the air goes out of the room. The room goes out of the air. If the room goes out of the air, we're all in trouble, right? <laughs> and, and so, uh, but, but the reality is, it is. It's a, it's a difficult topic for people, and, and, and rightfully so in many ways, because we've seen abuses. We've seen um, abuses with finances. We've seen money not spent well. But the reality of it is, it takes money to do ministry. There's been so many times I wish that weren't true, but the reality of it is, is it does. And we're going to be generous people who give, yes, to the church, but the church that also gives back and gives out. And so that's who we're gonna be. We're gonna be a serving church. We're gonna be a church that is generous. We're gonna be a church that focuses on community. That's why connect groups are so big. They're so important to us. Is because we need people in our lives going with us. And the last one is we're gonna be evangelical. We're gonna evangelize. We're gonna tell people about Jesus. This is the easiest one for me as far as the cultures go because it's just who I am naturally. Is, is an evangelist, is someone that just wants to share the gospel and it's about who Jesus is. And so that's who we are as a church. And here's the challenge to you, and if you fell asleep, wake up, um, because I want you to really hear this, is that if this is your church, those are the things you ought to be involved in. Those are the things you ought to be doing. Those are the things that you need to get excited about. And if you're not excited about it, ask God to get you excited about it because if he's called you here, he's called you to these things. And we believe this, that this is what God is going to use to reach the community around us, to do our part as one church in this community. We believe he's going to do that through those four things that I mentioned of Sunday morning, connect groups, kids and students, missions and outreach. And so it's important, if you're here, jump in and get involved. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of people to reach. Listen, I believe this with all my heart and I hope you can hear this and I hope that you can believe this with me, but the best is yet to come. We've seen some great stuff, but the best is still ahead of us. I believe that with all my heart. And so one of the ways that Paul stayed the course, one of the ways that Paul finished his race well is he knew he had a very clear mission and purpose. Another way uh, that he did this, and you can look back through the book of Acts up to this point and even after this point, but Paul had seen the power of God. It was very clear that Paul had seen the power of God, one, in his own conversion. He had a dramatic conversion where Jesus appeared to him and he, 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 his whole life changed. He had uh, another powerful moment when he comes into Philippi and Lydia um, comes to a place of faith in Christ. You can go back and read all of this. He has another one where um, he ends up casting out a demon, right? Uh, from this slave girl who's following him around, shouting out, these are servants of the most high God. Finally, Paul gets tired of it. He's like, in the name of Jesus, shut up, is basically, that's my translation. And so he, he, he sees this power. And he has seen God's power over the people who co were coming against him. I want you to think about this. He's seen the power of conversion. The greatest miracle you will ever see is when God takes somebody from death to life in salvation. 
There is no greater miracle of God. The second thing is he saw the power of God over Satan, over the evil forces, right? Over, that sounded like Star Wars, but over the demonic. So he knew that Satan couldn't stop him. The third thing is he saw God's power over um, his opponents. He saw that people couldn't stop what God was doing. And I'll tell you this, when those four cultures of community and generosity and serving and evangelism are hot in a church and they're all strong, you become the church at that point that Jesus talked about when he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can stop that church when those things are working in the body of Christ. Nothing can stop that church. And that's who we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Another reason that I believe Paul was able to continue is because he had community. And I know I've talked about this some, but I want to mention it again. In that passage that we read to start, it said that he had companions. It talks a lot about Silas being with him. And so he had people with him. None of us can do this on our own. I've got people in my life who continually encourage me, who call me and say, you got to keep walking. I've got other people in my life that I try to do the same thing for, that we try to encourage one another mutually. I got a text this morning with a scripture and a prayer that somebody sent me. We all need people walking in the same direction that we do. Paul had community. He wasn't in this alone, but he had people in his life going the same direction that he went. The last one I want to share with you. So we've looked at this, that the way he stayed on his tracks, he had a very clear mission. He had a very clear purpose, right? He had experienced the power of God, and so have we, so have you, if you've been around this church, and if you've experienced the, 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 the reality of going from death to life through faith in Christ. And he had community, and so he experienced community. The last one is this, that he had the example of Jesus to follow. He had the example of Jesus to follow. See, here's the awesome thing about God is that God didn't come or didn't just sit in heaven and tell us this is what you need to do. He came to earth and he showed us who we really were created to be. He came to earth and showed us what it is like. He gave us an example, a very real example of who we are called to be and what we're called to do. And Paul had a good um, example to follow in Jesus because see, Jesus too had persevered. Jesus too had walked out this path. Jesus too had stayed the course. The Bible tells us that Jesus set his face like flint. In other words, he resolved in his mind that he was going to Jerusalem and going to the cross, that he was going to do this no matter what it took or what it cost, even though it was going to mean separation from God the Father, who he'd never been separated from before, as he took our sin upon himself and he took our punishment upon himself, he was going to do that. He stayed the course and he finished the course and he continued on. And it wasn't always easy. It was painful. He experienced betrayal. He experienced what is a physical pain. He experienced the pain of lost friendships and those types of pains that we experience. And the great thing about Jesus is this, that we have a savior. We have a God who walks through the pain with us. He doesn't just step back and watch us go through it. He actually walks through it with us. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that many of you have heard when they get thrown into 
the fiery furnace. And the Bible says that when they go in, that their hands were tied. And the only thing it says that was burned up when they came out on the other side of the fire was the ropes that had held their hands together. And they weren't even, they didn't even smell like smoke. I love the fact that when God does allow us to walk through the fire, that when we trust in him, keeping our eyes fixed on him, staying the course, that when we come out on the other side, we're freer than we were when we went in. See, this is what I know in my life. I know that Satan has tried to take me out of ministry. There is no doubt in my mind. You can say, well, all that devil stuff, that's just hogwash. No, 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 no. I've experienced it. I understand spiritual warfare. Many of you are walking through it, but you don't even realize you're in a war. And I know that Satan has tried to take me out. And he's taken me to the depths of despair. And many of you have heard that. You've watched me walk through that yourself. But this is what I can tell you. I've seen all of his tricks that he's thrown at me over the last seven years. And this is the thing. He brought me way down. But Christians are like a, a cork when you go fishing. They might go under, but they pop back up. And this is what I know is that God is going to bring me back up. God is doing that in my life. And God is going to use this church in mighty ways. Satan is not going to be able to keep this church from doing what it's called to do, what God has put us here to do. We're going to accomplish every purpose that God has for us. And the reason for that is our God is greater than Satan. Our God is greater than the evil one and nothing can stop the church of Christ. That is the truth. That is the fact. And so we're going to complete this race. We're going to stay the course. We're going to do the things that God called us to do. The question I have for you is, are you going to be a part of it? Because God's going to do what he wants to do through us. Because we're going to surrender ourselves to him. Are you willing to do what he calls you to do and take your next step? Whatever that looks like. I want to finish with this scripture because I believe this is how we truly live our life as followers of Christ. It's in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And the writer of Hebrews tells us this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let me explain this because sometimes we read this passage and what we envision are people like in bleachers around us in the clouds watching us like, what's he going to do this time, right? I don't believe that's what the scripture is teaching. What the scripture is teaching us is that we have examples. There, the, the, the people who've gone before us, like Paul, like Abraham, like Moses, like David, that they're examples of the power of God. They're witnesses to the power of God. So we're able to look at their lives and see the power of God. And so he's saying, since we have this example, since we have these other people, since we have Jesus himself, who is an example, he says, let's throw off anything that would hinder us from staying the course. Let's throw off anything that would hinder us from running the race. And let's keep Keep moving forward. And he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What's he saying? Stay the course. He's saying stay the course. If you're doubting, is it worth following Jesus? You'll never get to the end of your life and regret following Christ. Stay the course. Just continue to walk and stay the course. And he says in verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love it when it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Because what was the joy that was set before him? I can tell you this, it wasn't the cross. Yes, he was Jesus. Yes, he is God, but the cross was still painful. It still meant separation from God the Father. It still meant the physical pain of crucifixion. It still meant pain. The joy wasn't in the cross. The joy was in what came after the cross, which was reconciled relationships with his creation and the promise that one day all things would be made new. And so the joy was the reconciliation that he would get through us. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is fix your eyes on him. Let him be your example. Don't grow weary. Draw encouragement from what Jesus has done, who he is, and the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you. Stir up in in your spirit the Holy Spirit who came to reside in you when you believed and you were in faith. Remember that no matter what comes at us today or tomorrow or next week or next year or next decade, that if we're in Christ, we've already won, that it's been settled, that it's done, that we're victorious. There's gonna be things that come and try to knock us off our tracks, that try to take us off our course, but we have one who's greater. The Bible tells us that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And we can take a lot of comfort in that. We can take a lot of courage in that that when we're in Christ, he is in us and he gives us strength to continue. So today I wanna encourage you, stay the course. As a church, let's stay the course. As people who are followers of Jesus, stay the course. It's worth it, It, it's worth it. The joy of a relationship with him is worth it. Let's stay the course, let's continue on, let's keep moving forward. As he's leading us and guiding us, let's take those next steps of faith even when fear is present. Let's continue to move and follow him step by step. Listen, I've told you this before, I'll tell you it again today. You don't have to take the next 10 steps. All you gotta do is take the next one. Take the next step of faith that he's leading you to take. For some of you, that next step may be salvation. We talk about this every week, I know we do, but we're gonna talk about it every week until Jesus comes back. But do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know him? Have you accepted him as savior? Have you accepted him and made him the Lord of your life? Is he the God of your life? And if not, then today, my prayer is that he's knocking on the door of your heart. See, God doesn't check our church attendance. He checks to see if we put our faith in Christ. Church attendance and all of the Christian things that we do come out of a heart that's been transformed by Jesus, not the other way around. Has your heart ever been transformed by the Lord, by Jesus? Have you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, then I'm gonna give you that opportunity today to say yes to him. And the way we do it here, because we believe it's something to celebrate, not something to be embarrassed about, 
as we raise our hand, not with heads bowed and eyes closed, but we raise our hand and then we pray with you and help you take your next steps of faith because it's not the end of a journey, it's the beginning of a new life. And so today you want to say yes to faith in Jesus, faith in Christ. And what I want you to do is I want you to stick your hand up in the air and say, yeah, I want to know him. I want that relationship. I don't have that relationship with God right now, but I want it. So if you're here today and that's you, amen. speaking to your heart and you know it. If you're looking for purpose, this is where it's found. Looking for hope, it's right here. All the hope we'll ever need, all the hope we ever want, it's found in Christ. Well, maybe today you feel like I was talking about my, my sons with those little balls stuck to you. And I don't know if that means that for you it's sin. I don't know if for you it's burdens and responsibilities and worries that you've taken upon yourself. I don't know what that is for you. But maybe you need to come and spend some time with the Lord. To take some time and to come and spend some time with, with Jesus. Unloading some things. There's nothing like the feeling when you allow the grace of God, his unmerited, listen, his undeserved love, lift the weight of the burdens of life off of your shoulders. And that's your invitation today. I'm gonna pray and if that's you, you need to come down here and you have that opportunity. While I'm praying, you come forward, we'll be dismissed, you stay and pray as long as you'd like. But I'm gonna pray, you have the opportunity to move. For, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your love and your grace and the power of who you are. Thank you for the power of Jesus. Thank you that you've called us to a great purpose, God. It helps us to stay on our course, to stay on our tracks. God, thank you that you've called us, um, God, to, to do something for you that we can bring you honor and bring you glory. God, I pray that as we leave this place that you would continue to speak to us long after we've, we've left, Lord we hear your voice, that you draw us close to you, that you do everything that you have in mind, God, in us so that we can do everything that you have in mind that you want to do through us. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great week. Hey.